You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. A few years ago, um, I was living my dream life. I really was married to the man of my dreams. I was so happy. I loved my life. We were raising three beautiful boys together. We were running a church together. It was a beautiful life. It really was. I mean, I really had everything I could have ever asked for and more. We had a beautiful home. We had a beautiful family. I had the mom car. I got to be a stay-at-home mom. It really was such a great life, and I was so proud of my life. And then in 2017 is kind of when things changed, and my husband started struggling with panic attacks kind of out of nowhere. And so we started on this journey with mental health and mental illness. And just a few months later, he was diagnosed with depression and put on this sabbatical. And we went even deeper into this journey of mental health. And we were doing everything we knew to do to get him better. He was seeing a psychiatrist. He was taking medication. We were seeing a therapist. He was doing solid trips he was doing trips with mentors I mean we really were doing everything we knew to do to get him better and he, we thought he was getting better and so he was released to go to work at the end of that summer in 2018 and he hit the ground running gave two powerful messages on mental illness was using his story to help others and headed into the third weekend he just had a really bad day he wasn't fully well his mind wasn't fully healed he had told our family and told our church he was at about 65 percent not a hundred percent and so our family knew right away and our staff kind of knew right away like maybe he isn't ready to be back maybe he needs some more time off to heal maybe he needs some more space to figure out what's going on inside of his mind and his body and so while we were away from him for just a little bit taking those next steps he attempted suicide and it really was this awful horrific blindside that none of us ever saw coming and I truly believe that Andrew didn't even see it coming as well and so he was rushed to the hospital and unfortunately there was nothing that the doctors could do and so he was taken off life support and God gave us the gift of one last day with him and we got to sit with him and pray with him and hold him and listen to his favorite worship songs and say goodbye and on August 25th 2018 he took his last breath and with that I took my first in a brand new life um, that I really truly never saw coming So Kayla was a guest on our Life Support podcast that we produce here at Ridgewood Church, and her story was not only really difficult, but it was a very public story. And when she lost her husband, that caused her to ask a lot of questions. People are losing a lot of things all around us, and and the pandemic has taken a lot from people, and so major questions are being asked. And I think that one of the things that's happening is the true nature of God is being questioned. Because when things happen that don't seem fair to us, then we surmise that God must not be fair. Or maybe he's unloving. Or maybe he's just absent from it all. And nothing brings those feelings and those ideas to the surface more than the word hell. How could a loving God run a universe that has hell in in it? It doesn't make any sense. And what Kayla's gone through and what others have gone through just don't seem to match with a loving God. 
And so the question that we're asking today is, and I think both non-believers and believers alike, is God, if you care, why do you send people to hell? Why would you do that? But I'm going to propose to you this morning, it's really a faulty question. Because the question really should be, God, why aren't we all headed for hell? Why did you choose to save anyone? And when that question is answered this morning, my hope for you is that you'll have a deeper appreciation and a deeper understanding of God's plan of redemption and His grace. Because what we're going to see together is that when it comes to heaven or hell or being saved or not saved, that it really comes down to God's goodness, His grace. His grace is everything. Now, we really can't have a discussion like this in this difficult topic without understanding something that's really profound, but it's unpopular. And so, that is this. Hell is real, and those who reject Jesus will spend eternity there. Hell is a real place. Those who reject Jesus will spend eternity there. And that's where we, we have to start when we deal with Scripture Because when I say this is an unpopular truth, 40% of people that identify themselves as Jesus followers do not believe in the existence of a literal hell, that it doesn't exist at all. And so this is where we have to begin. Matthew 25, 46 explains, though, that as the Lord tells it, there will be a time when the just And the unjust, the wicked and the righteous will come together and their eternal fate will be decided. They will be sent to one place or another, so to speak. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 25, 46, starting with with non-believers. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So there's clearly a decision to be made. There's clearly something happening there. Not everybody just coasts into the afterlife. And Jesus post, you know, he pulled no punches on this issue. He talked about hell a lot. Here's what he says in Matthew 13, 41 through 43. He describes it as a place with conscious torment. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom and all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So again, this is Jesus talking. This isn't a well-known speaker or author. And it's interesting because Matthew uses this kind of language a lot, and so did Luke in his writing. That term weeping suggests the sorrow and grief and the emotional agony of being in hell. And that term, the grinding of one's teeth or gnashing of teeth, speaks of physical agony in hell. And so Jesus is leaving no stone unturned. 
And yes, despite arguments to the contrary, the rebellion of sin against a holy God is so filthy and so terrible that it does merit a place as horrific as hell. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans talks about the lifestyle of those that have not yet met God's grace, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And what a perfect person to write this, one who stood as Stephen was being martyred and the Bible says he gave approval. And here he is saying, listen, those who do those kinds of things, they deserve to die. And so there is a hell and it's, it's, it's a just place. And the reason that God cannot tolerate sin is because he is absolutely righteous and he is absolutely holy. And so anything that he encounters, anything that he interacts with must too be righteous and holy. And he has made us in his image. And so he has called us to be like him. But we can't do that on our own. But when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, then we are clothed in Christ's righteousness, not our own, because we can't, we can't find that on our own. We don't have that within us. We can't conjure it up. But holiness is what God's after because holiness is what God interacts with. And Peter made the, that the center of this verse in 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The kingdom of Christ, And the subjects in that kingdom, you and me, if we're followers of Jesus, have been called to something more, have been called to something higher, and it's the holiness of God. So in order to have this discussion, why would God send people to hell? We first must understand that there is a hell. It's real. And the righteous will live in heaven, the unrighteous in hell. But it's not about works. It's not about doing the best. It's about faith. It's about submission. It's about receiving forgiveness of sin. And then we must understand as well that hell is just and righteous. It's horrific. It's hard to talk about. Nobody wants to think about it. I don't like preaching about it. But God says it is just because of God's holiness that we don't really comprehend or really understand. But when you, when you think of hell and you think of a sovereign God, it's fair to say, well, why did it happen this way in the first place? Like, why did God set it up like this? And that's what I want to get into. I, I want to talk about how this eternal hell highlights God's grace. So if you have a Bible with you, if you have a phone or tablet, I'd like you to turn, if you would, to Colossians 2, beginning in verse 13. Colossians 2, beginning in verse 13. And it won't be long till we have those Bibles back in the seat backs in front of you, but 
For now, bring your own, bring your phone. Love to have you with a Bible in front of you. In this passage, that is an amazing passage, the Apostle Paul will help you to see that the question indeed should be flipped upside down. We should be asking, why aren't we all looking at a future in hell? Why isn't that for everyone? It's because of God's grace. It's because His grace is everything. Now, just to set this up, Paul's writing from prison in Rome, and he's writing to this small Roman city, the church in Colossae. And the theme of the letter is redemption, because what was happening is false teachers were coming, and they were saying that Jesus had a lesser role in salvation, and that you could earn it, you could do good works, in this case, circumcision. So Paul didn't like that at all because it distracted them from the grace of God and and salvation through Jesus Christ. So he makes it clear that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that can breathe new life into one's heart. So we begin in verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all, our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So when I say that God's grace is everything, it means that it's our only hope. And instead of asking God, if you care, why are you sending people to hell? We should be on our knees in gratitude, in awe of his mercy that he saves some. And that you and I, if we follow Jesus, can even say those words, I follow Jesus. That's because of God's grace. And so, here's the truth of the gospel. And again, not necessarily popular, but true. But for the intervention of God's grace, you are spiritually dead and destined for hell. But for the intervention of grace, you are spiritually dead and destined for hell. Look, look what he says here. And you who were dead in your trespasses. Trespasses is a term for the particular sins like lying and, and stealing and so forth. Uncircumcision denotes the general sinfulness of the heart. Inherited sin. And then death for Paul is an expression of the collective consequences for both. Death is eternal separation from God. And sadly, the separation that Paul's talking about here doesn't magically disappear when we leave our temporal bodies. It carries into eternity, and if not dealt with, it carries us right to the gates of hell. That's what Paul's saying here. And the only way out is to receive the gift of God's grace. That's our only hope. But it's not something that we can access on our own. Paul uses these terms like spiritually dead. And when, when, when we are dead, we can't do anything. 
right? You, you, you wouldn't be able to even lift a finger or say a word in your defense. You are dead. And so Paul's words are fitting. Spiritually speaking, there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. And if we take credit for our salvation, then we haven't read this little passage. Because Paul is clearly saying that you are dead in your sin. And the only person that can come and inject life into that spiritually dead corpse is Jesus Christ, the power of Christ. And God can do that, but it comes through faith. And it comes through the grace of God. That's why God's grace is so important. That's why we can live a life of gratitude and awe. Why would God even bother to breathe life into a spiritually dead person who is dead because of rebellion and sin? But yet that's exactly what Paul is saying happened. It's amazing. And he did it because he loves you. He did it because of his grace. And this is how Paul describes it in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You see, we were dead in our trespasses, but now we are alive together with Christ. Through what? Grace. Not through being a better person, not through going to church more, not through learning the Bible more. It was all about God's grace. That's what makes God's grace the most amazing thing in the universe. It truly is. And so the proper question isn't how could God be mean enough to send people to hell. The proper question is how could God be loving enough to offer salvation to some of us rebellious terrible, sinful mankind. The thing is, hell is real. People will be there for all eternity. It really exists. And that's why I'm dwelling on God's grace, because it is the only way to avoid that destination. And so therefore, the the answer to the question of the day really is, God, if you care, how could you send people to hell is this. God sends no one to hell but saves some by his marvelous grace. God sends no one to hell. If you look at Colossians 2, 13 and 14 again, if we read it in the light of how God saved some, we can reflect on this. 13 again. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands that he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's how he did it. The new life that is offered with this amazing grace that God has given us became a reality when he sent his own son into the world to minister and to die on a cross. And there he uses here the metaphor of really an IOU. And what Paul's saying here is as we go around, we are literally compiling a debt of sin. And it's like, you know, we all want to live till we're 100 or something, but 
if we don't deal with sin, we just have a larger account, credit card account of sin. And so what he's saying is, Jesus, when he went to the cross, he took that that statement and he nailed it to the cross with him. And it wasn't like you still have to pay monthly installments. It was done. There is no more sin then. There, There is only forgiveness of sin. Now, do we have to continue to have a right relationship with God and continue to confess sin? Of course. But the only way to avoid paying for your sin is because Jesus nailed your statement to the cross with him. And that's a pretty awesome thing to think about. So for those of us who believe in him, forgiveness becomes like a life-saving net. It's almost as if we're all hurtling down toward hell and God just reaches out and has saved you. And if he hadn't, nothing could have saved you. Nothing. It's all because of God's grace. God doesn't send people to hell But God saves those who come to him and repent of sin and submit to him. And when that happens, there is no more punishment for sin because that certificate of debt has been nailed to the cross, has been done away with, and this is your hope. This morning, I want to say it again. God's grace is your only hope. And Wendy talked about it before. This is why you need to be saying the gospel to yourself every day. Every minute of every day. So my desire this morning has been to to clearly lay out a biblical view of hell. to, To clearly lay out a plan to be saved from it. But the question now becomes this. How will you live knowing that hell is real and people will abide there? How are you going to live now? Now, if you're a disciple of Christ, if you've, if you've given yourself to Jesus, does this reminder of the existence of hell jar you in any way? Does it cause you to flinch? Does it, does it turn your stomach? Does it cause you to seek the one person who you can develop a friendship with and Maybe have an opportunity to lead them to that grace. Does it cause you to shift your focus from your own selfish desires to being a sold out disciple of Christ? Does it cause you to live a life of gratitude rather than whining and complaining and wanting more of God? I don't have this and I don't have that. And does it cause you to love God more deeply and with passion. And listen, as a church, this should affect how we do church, this truth that's in front of us this morning. I don't know if you read the Star Tribune this morning. I shouldn't read that before I come to church. Sometimes it makes me angry, and then I have to deal with my anger in the car. But here's what I read this morning. A new poll has just come out from Gallup. And for the first time in American history, Less than 50% of Americans say they are connected to any house of worship at all. And I'm not talking about just Christian, Jewish, Muslim, whatever. 
less than 50%. And here is the most frustrating of all. Young adults lead the way. Two-thirds of young adults are not connected to any religious institution whatsoever. And that should shake us to the core because we are losing an entire generation while we fight about mask wearing, while we fight over theology, while we fight over what music we should be playing or how to conduct a service, we're losing a generation. There every day are men, women, and children that are making decisions that affect all of eternity. And if they do not meet the grace of God, they will be lost for all of eternity. So I frankly hope this has jarred you. Because it jarred me. And it continues to do so every time I, I, I talk to you about it. And if you're not yet submitted to Christ, how did it affect you? Did it cause you to reevaluate your value system? Did you think about your future? Do you understand more clearly now that there is no middle ground? You're either in or you're out, but you can't decide just to get in. You need the grace of God to do that. And so if he's calling you this morning, I want you to know that there is hope. That you can be a child, just a child of God, just for the asking. Romans 10.9 is such a beautiful verse. I love this verse. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do we have a sin problem? Oh yeah, big time. But through repentance of sin and belief in Jesus, the amazing gift of God's grace can be yours. So I would like you just to put down all your things and I want to just lead you through a prayer right now. So just bow your head where you are. A prayer that I hope you can say earnestly if you have not yet given your life to Christ. And if you are a Jesus follower, let this prayer remind you of what you stand for, of what God has done in your life. And take the time to pray for others who are making this decision for the first time. So if you'd like to pray this prayer with me in the quietness of your own spirit, just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died for my sin and nailed my certificate of debt to the cross with you. I am sorry for my sin. I receive your forgiveness. I desire to follow you forever. Amen. So thank you for doing that with me. So listen, if you, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, there's a couple things that I would like you to do, and you can choose from any of the above, but you can hover your phone, like Kevin said, with your camera or your QR app, and you can just fill out a card and say, I gave my life to Jesus, or I want to know more about Jesus, or I prayed that prayer or something. You can go to the hub and tell a pastor and f- or fill out a card. You can call someone that you know. You can tell the person you came with, but don't just let it lie. The stakes are too high.
Because we shouldn't be asking at all why God sends people to hell because he doesn't. What God does, he's in the redemption business. He saves people from hell and from death and sin. And so I just praise him this morning for his amazing grace. Let's pray. God, thank you for everything that you've done. God, thank you for everything you continue to do. Thank you for the gospel and for the simplicity of it. And Lord, Satan doesn't want this to happen. Satan doesn't want hell to be exposed. He wants it to be a cartoon. He he wants people to dress up in devil costumes and pretend it's all not real, but it is very real. And so God, I pray that whatever side of the ledger we're on, that this would shake up our thinking. That, that the Holy Spirit would come and guide us forward as to what to do next with the truth that we've learned this morning. Thank you again, God, for your grace that saves. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.